You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 2, Episode 17. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. My name is Mark Holthy, Canadian Immigration Lawyer, coming to you from the beautiful, snowy province of Alberta. It is, uh, it's definitely going to be a white Christmas here, and I don't know about you guys, wherever you're listening in, in Canada and around the world, I think one of the things we always look forward to in Canada is a white Christmas, and there is no doubt it's going to be white this year. Uh, today I'm recording December the 22nd. We're three days away from Christmas. And as I look at the snow piled up on the streets, I'm thinking, man, this is Edmonton and I'm in Lethbridge. In other words, our wind comes and blows all of the snow away and melts it. But we are stacking up our snow with how much snow we received over the last few days. And, and uh, have, uh, you know, just sitting in my chair here, feeling the stiffness in my back is a strong reflection on how much snow I've been shoveling over the last few days. So yes, winter is here. And uh, with it being such a, uh, a wonderful time of year, um, sometimes the shoveling isn't as bad or isn't as painful as normal, knowing that we are uh, encroaching here, or at least we're a few days away from just one of the most favorite times uh, of the year for me and my family. So I want to wish everybody that's listening here uh, a very, very Merry Christmas and a happy and prosperous new year. And uh, that's probably something that I should have saved for the end of the podcast. But hey, um, there is no rhyme or reason to what I'm doing with this thing. Well, today I'm happy to... um, let you know that we have brought back another past expert, I guess, if you will, Alastair Clark, who is an immigration lawyer practicing in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And he came and joined us last um, last year to talk about the Manitoba Provincial Nominee Program. And I've got him back to touch on some new changes that are occurring within uh, the province of Manitoba and their uh, stream for selecting immigrants uh, to uh, remain in that lovely province. So we'll be touching on that in just a few minutes. I want to express appreciation, as I always do, for listeners who are giving me feedback, who are tuning in, who are sharing the podcast. And uh, I've said this many times in the past. If I could do this every day, all day, <laughs> I would. this would be my first choice. And so to have people giving positive comments, expressing appreciation for the content, and to all of you past uh, guests who've joined me, I want to express a sincere appreciation to all of you because you are the ones that have really made this podcast what it is today. So thank you so much for for everyone who's tuned in, who's participated, for those who send me uh, suggestions. And um, yeah, why don't we just jump right in to my interview with Alastair Clark. Well, I'm here with Alastair Clark, who is an immigration lawyer practicing in the wintry city, at least at this stage, of Winnipeg, Manitoba, with his firm Clark Immigration Law. Welcome, Alastair. Hi, Mark. Great to chat with you. Well, I previously had the pleasure of uh, having Alistair join me back 
oh, it's in August of last year in season one, episode 25, to talk about the Manitoba Provincial Nominee Program. That's and, right, the good old days. Yeah, the good old days, exactly. And uh, we had a chance to touch on a number of the different programs, and Alistair uh, shared some great insight into uh, just improving your chances of success, essentially. Well, today, he's back again by popular demand. In other words, my demand, because as always, this is my podcast and I can do whatever I want. And he did such a good job last time. I thought, you know what? I'm going to pull him back in because there was a recent announcement, wasn't there, Alistair? Back in November, we've had, uh, we've been dealing with major announcement from the province. And that, that announcement relates to some fairly significant changes that are going to be happening with the Manitoba Provincial Nominee Program in the coming year. So um, when I was doing a little bit of research, Alistair, I noticed that the, uh, the province now is branding, or at least the, uh, the Provincial Nominee Program has a new branding entitled Manitoba My New Home. And that really rung with me because um, Alberta, uh, our Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program, was poised just a few weeks ago to announce this new Alberta Opportunities or Opportunities Alberta stream and, um, and to incorporate some elements that would, uh, that would intersect with our express entry uh, program at the federal level. But then all of that got uh, put on hold. But I thought, wow, you know, Manitoba, my new home, they're really selling. Like you're trying to get people to come. And uh, Alberta, in the same, you know, the same light, Opportunities Alberta, you know, that, that whole notion that, uh, hey, don't forget about us, you immigrants that are coming to Canada who are heading off to Toronto and, and Vancouver and Montreal, you know, don't forget about us. And we are a, a desirable location in, in, the, in this beautiful country we have here. And so I found that was very interesting. Absolutely. I mean, historically, many uh, immigrants who come to Manitoba um, have used the uh, the provincial program as a bit of a gateway, um, as you noted, uh, where they come to Manitoba and then once they um, are successful with their permanent resident application, then they move to Toronto, Vancouver or elsewhere in the country. And as you know, with our mobility rights under the charter, uh, that's perfectly fine as permanent residents as long as they, um, you know, they they were okay and open with that with their intentions when they arrived. But um, the province right now, we have a new government in 2016, and they're putting their mark on the departments. And so they're trying to uh, focus the provincial program on applicants who are who really want to come and settle in Manitoba and make Manitoba their quote new home. And you know, I think that is the most difficult task that provinces have, at least at least maybe the, the less popular provinces of destination, is figuring out a way to encourage people to stay. And I just did a podcast uh, with uh, Janet Thompson-Price on the Atlantic Immigration Pilot. And it's a wonderful program from the standpoint of an employer who's looking to find people. And, you know, so the pathways in, in securing permanent res- resident status are are really good and there's a, a significant settlement component to helping encourage the the people to make a plan on on how they're going to establish themselves and interacting with settlement organizations to help with that and I was thinking wow this really makes sense you know you're doing everything you can to try and keep these individuals but you know the reality is when you are a, a single immigrant to to Canada you're going to go where you know whether other other uh, larger uh, numbers of, of singles that you can interact with, right? And if you're not yet uh, 
in in a, uh, a relationship you're you're uh, and you don't want to remain single sometimes the the communities in some of our provinces uh, at least with with respect to your ethnic background whatever it is um sometimes they're not as large and so the the desire to move where there's a greater you know greater number of of um uh, potential candidates i guess you would say <laughs> from that standpoint is is significant and you know if there's perceived job opportunities that are that are better so um, it's, it's interesting, this whole dynamic and how it's unfolding as provinces are competing for immigrants. Yeah, and one, you know, when you bring one individual and that individual settles and is happy, then that individual will tell his or her family members, his or her friends from um, their country of origin. They will help them come. They will write letters of support, sign affidavits, sign support, um, settlement documents, and slowly the community is built. Yes. All right, well, let's talk a little bit more about the Manitoba PNP. So maybe you could give us just a very quick little snapshot of where we've been with the program and, and what these, uh, these changes are intended to accomplish. And then we'll dive into the specifics uh, after that. Absolutely. So the old model was uh, relatively simple. We had a skilled worker in Manitoba stream, skilled worker overseas stream, and then the Manitoba provincial nominee business stream, and then the farm farm strategic recruitment initiative, which is very small. So those were basically the four categories. Within the new system, now they have uh, divided the skilled worker in Manitoba stream into two pathways that they're calling it. Um, the the Manitoba Work Experience Pathway, which is going to be implemented in the third quarter of 2018, and then an Employer Direct Recruitment Pathway, which is kind of similar to the Strategic Recruitment Pathway of before, but a little bit different. Um, and then on the overseas side, they've divided it into the Manitoba Human Capital Pathway and then the Manitoba Express Entry Pathway. Um, and they've divided that up for, again, kind of different reasons. Um, Then on the business side, so you went from the general Manitoba Provincial Nominee business stream to now we have the business investor stream, which is divided into the entrepreneur pathway and the farm investor pathway. And then finally, we have this new category focused on international students. So the international education stream, which has the career employment pathway. So that it's much more complicated under the current, uh, under the new model that's being implemented in 2018. But let's look at the general principles. Now, one question, uh, just if I could jump in. So prior to this, um, was there a pathway for international students or so were the, they just blended into the, the regular streams? The, the international students were, um, there was the international graduate student okay. graduates mm-hmm. pathway under the skilled workers in Manitoba stream, but they've, uh, they've basically uh, pulled that away from the skilled worker stream and created a whole new stream for international education. Um, and the focus there is on STEM. So these are graduates who have finished programs in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Um, and the, the province has, has explicitly stated that those graduates will have their own stream. And, uh, and the, right now they're working with uh, universities and colleges on building internships and, uh, and ways that they can gain experience so that they can then get into um, careers that are related to their STEM uh, educational um, uh, accomplishments. 
Gotcha. Okay, well, I'll let you go back without kind of uh, sabotaging your your planned <laughs> your your planned method of attack here. I, I'll I'll let you uh, go back to, and and kind of start working through the programs uh, without me interrupting you so rudely. But I, I've got another question. Okay. I'm going to pull back once you get back to the um, once you get back to the international um, the the this new stream. So. Sure. Um, so if we look at it um, from 30,000 feet um, and kind of the principles that are, are guiding these changes on the individual side, so on the skilled worker side and on the international student side, um, the province has been um, has expressed, and this is from conversations with the, the deputy minister who has really been spearheading these changes, um, the province has expressed deep concern that many of the the university graduates or skilled workers in Manitoba are um, are not working to their potential. They are working in low-skilled jobs, and what the province is doing is changing the program in order to encourage um, these individual applicants to take jobs in um, in, in, in careers and in positions that meet or flow from their educational abilities. Um, so that's on the on the individual side. And then on the business side, uh, and this kind of flows again from the same principle, the province is concerned that the business applicants, again, are not realizing their potential for their in, the investment opportunities and building the economy in Manitoba. So the new the new entrepreneur pathway, um, has been redesigned, so we no longer have the $100,000 deposit, which has always been a big selling point um, for that program, but the net worth of the individuals is higher, and, uh, and, and in a completely big change, those the business um, applicants will be given a two-year temporary work permit during which time they should be building the business, establishing the business, um, and then when and if their business is established, then they will be on track for permanent resident status. So again, the province is really encouraging these applicants to realize their potential, and what they're doing is they want to then give nomination certificates to those applicants who are successful in getting the positions that meet their uh, their their education experience, or the or the business applicants who have actually realized their business plans, um, and the province has said specifically that it's possible that the numbers will go down, um, but the province is not concerned with with numbers. the The province wants quality applicants. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. So, okay, so one, one question I have. So th they're getting away from a mere passive investment kind of a scheme. Yes. And so in the past, when they had made those investments, um, the, 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 uh, that initial deposit, I guess, if you will, that was a direct pathway to permanent residence. And so what you're saying, just to, just to kind of recap, is that no longer are they able to um, obtain permanent residence initially. There's that lead-up period where they're kind of proving themselves for two years. That's right. So in the on the business side, um, with the business investor stream, the um, the applicants who are chosen for the program will initially get a two year work permit, um, and uh, and with that work permit, they're encouraged to come buy a home, um, build their business, um, you know, hire. 
uh, employees. They need to hire at least one permanent resident or Canadian citizen in order to grow their business. Um, and then potentially after six or eight or nine months, um, if they have established their business at that point, then we will reconnect with the PNP program and say, look, uh, this applicant under the business category has established their business. They've hired. They've, you know, uh, they've they've done everything properly with CRA rules and tax rules and real estate and all of that. Um, and then they can apply for permanent residence and 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 go forward um, at that point. But they essentially have two years in order to establish their business. Huh, that's interesting. I wonder. You know, whenever you come over, if the business fails or if it doesn't work. You know, they've invested, and this is me kind of wondering about the, the, you know, what if it doesn't work? And so then are people going to be willing to, to do that, to, to make that investment of time and resources and everything? I wonder, um, for a two, you know, for a two year work permit on the hope that if things work out, they're going to get permanent residence. Um, that's going to be really interesting to see. Cause I know, you know, that model is definitely one that encourages people to prove themselves and to actually work and get things established versus having no back-end expectation. Um, you know, and we used to have that with our entrepreneur program at the federal level. There was always the back-end obligations as well mm-hmm. as the front-end and showing that you've, you know, that you've satisfied certain of the various components that they mandated were in place. And uh, it wasn't just a matter of purchasing a business or operating it as an entrepreneur, but actually employing Canadians and, you know, and the viability of the operation. But yeah, it'll be very interesting. I think it's good. I really do. I think it's a great way of of getting people more integrated um, and willing to, you know, put, uh, put some elbow grease into actually getting, getting things uh, set up and, and, uh, and flying forward. Well, the word that you just used really hit the nail, the, the, the nail um, hit the hammer or the nail of the head. How's that go? Um, the deputy minister uh, repeated the word viability yeah. um, in, in our conversation many times. What the province is really looking for are business um, leaders, investors, entrepreneurs who have the skills and wherewithal to take a business and then turn that business into a viable business. And once that business is established and it's viable, then the province will support them. They get their nomination certificate and off they go to permanent resident status. Huh. Did they talk at all? And I know I'm kind of hitting on this one particular stream probably more than we intended, but did they talk at all about how they're going to audit or, or you know, uh, do those assessments when the time comes? Yes. Um, so this is another new aspect of the program. Um, in the pre, in past, uh, audits were not um, a necessary part of the application process, but now they are going to uh, require a third-party audits for financials. So here, I mean, depending on like with other provinces, KPMG, other types of firms like that are going to have to get involved. They're going to audit their books um, and we're going to have to produce a report for those entrepreneurs and investments uh, that essentially backs up all the numbers. You have an auditor from an established financial institution to say we've looked at the books, um, you know, and and they and we give it our seal of approval. Interesting. All right. Well, let's um, uh, let's shift gears and let's let's talk a little bit more about these these skilled workers and the in demand occupations. Absolutely. Yeah, because we've been getting a lot of calls from concerned uh, students and workers who are in Manitoba. And, you know, they signed up 
um, to come to Manitoba with the expectation that they would uh, you know, be on a path to permanent resident status if they checked all the boxes. And then in November, we get this huge announcement, and now they just don't know what's going on. So, you know, a lot, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress right now um, among that group. And part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is because we've just been fielding so many calls. So, um, so number one, on the skilled worker in Manitoba stream, they're implementing the changes to this in the third quarter of 2018. And uh, so Fanny Levy, the director, I asked her specifically about what that means. Um, I mean, if you kind of Google third quarter of 2018, that basically means, you know, July, August, September. I said to her, so does that mean July? Does that mean September? And she said, yes. <laughs> so gotcha. for whatever that's worth, um, you know, but... For the for she basically um, reiterated that the province wants to support applicants who have come to this province with the expectation that this is the program. If they fulfill all these requirements, they will receive the nomination certificate and they will be on the right path. And the province has said, yes, we will continue to support them. Yes, we understand that they had those expectations when they came to the province um, and just continue to tell people that if they continue to meet those requirements, um, that we will continue to support them. And that, you know, it's interesting, that type of a feeling, that uncertainty uh, very closely mirrors the creation of Express Entry and what it did to international students. Absolutely. And I, I remember those days and the number of calls and the students who had spent, well, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their education, depending upon which programs they were entering into. You know, four years, five years, they were in Canada, all with the expectation, because that's what they were sold, was this pathway to permanent residence if they came and studied and and, you know, worked and, and did what they needed to do, that there would be a pathway to permanent residence. And then very quickly, there was just unbelievable uncertainty. And yeah. then, oh, your job offer, I'm sorry, unless it has an LMIA, you will not get those extra points. And it was only until recently when then further changes were made to give them credit for their Canadian education as opposed to international. So, um, but yeah, that uncertainty is, yeah, especially with that group who are the, as the government has told us repeatedly, the candidates that are the most likely to succeed in Canada, you know, the ones that we really want. And uh, so it's, I always find it interesting, especially with the province of Alberta, how they were ready to essentially just cut them out. But yeah, I guess the, that's, that's their, their mandate to, to choose to do what they need to do. Yeah, I mean, I remember when we were at the national conference uh, in Vancouver, uh, I guess two years ago, and former uh, Minister of Immigration John McCallum uh, was talking about international students. Uh, I mean, that was uh, the focus um, as soon as he, uh, he started uh, working uh, in the in the department. He focused exclusively on international students. He said he said over and over again that we want to encourage these students to study in Canada and stay in Canada. We want to retain that experience. We want to retain these graduates who have already proven themselves by paying international tuition, which is exorbitantly high compared to the students who are who are enjoying domestic uh, tuition levels. And, uh, and those students have already proven that they're committed to studying in Canada. They have the skills, they have education in Canada. And those are the students that we want to keep here as permanent residents. And that, yeah, that's exactly right. 
So, um, okay, well, let's let's continue on here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, with the uh, the skilled worker in Manitoba stream and the skilled worker overseas stream, uh, one of the biggest changes is with the in demand occupation. So, this is a new uh, a new element to the the Manitoba provincial nominee program. We never had to deal with an in demand occupation list before. Um, and uh, and again, this goes to the province trying to focus on applicants who are um, getting good jobs. So all the positions within the in-demand occupation list are knock O, A, and B. Yeah, I noticed that. No, no semi-scale, no low-scale, no CDs that's, at all. That's right. No C or no, no knock Cs, no knock Ds. Yeah. Um, and again, so this is the province. Uh, they want university graduates or skilled workers who are in those types of positions or have a job offer within those positions, depending on the pathway. Um, and they have released uh, this list. Um, when I was ta- the list itself is is I mean I see some problematic um, knock uh, codes that are on the list. I mean real estate agents. I don't know if a real estate agent if we really need real estate agents in Manitoba. Um, I don't mean to you know for any real estate agents out there. I don't mean to knock your your profession, but um, uh, I don't know if that's really yeah uh, in, de- uh, in demand. Yeah, I don't know if that's an in demand one. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, they have included for example food service supervisors cooks and bakers on there i have got that my mouse hovering over that right now (laughs) as you speak that is the one because i know in alberta that was probably one of the um uh, most popular knocks for individuals applying through the alberta immigrant nominee program it was food service supervisors and so yeah I, i find it very curious that they're on the list as well so here's the question i have for you alistair how easy is it for um a franchise in winnipeg to get an LMIA for a food service supervisor these days? Um, So that's a good question. I mean, as you know, LMIAs, the whole LMIA system was completely overhauled. Now we go through Service Canada, et cetera. Um, What can I say? Um, Some of them go through and some of them don't. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, you know, when you're looking at the the economy, I know out here in Alberta, a lot of our franchises were were filled with Filipino uh, workers, and it made perfect mm-hmm. sense if you're a, a business and you're applying for a labor market impact assessment to fill critical positions. Food food service supervisors are skilled, and generally they need some experience. And what they were looking for was a full time position. And it's pretty easy to show that there's no Canadians or permanent residents to fill the job, because by and large the people you're hiring are part-time or casual university or high school aged kids. And so um, it was very easy for the, you know, companies, regardless of of which franchise it was or which, you know, food service uh, um, uh, restaurant they were, it was pretty easy to show that there were no Canadians for that exact reason because they weren't available to work full-time. And so um, I've been very, very interested to see how things are, 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 you know, developing in in some of the other provinces as well because right now it's, it's, you know, we've got you know, the, the caps and things like that to restrict, but it's not easy. And, uh, largely because there's Canadians to do it. And especially in Alberta right now, there are Albertans to, to fill those roles. 
Uh, with LMIA applications, and here, um, you know, we're talking about employers who are making these applications. Um, they come to us and they ask us about the program. I will say that the $1,000 um, application fee for the LMIA has often come up as an issue. Um, and the uncertainty of whether or not they're going to get the LMIA is also an issue. Uh, employers um, need uh, guarantees or they, they need to be able to um, come and say, okay, I need to fill this position. I have this worker or um, I need a worker of these, of these qualifications. Um, can you get me an LMIA? And so we can we can help them with that, but we can't guarantee successful results. Yeah, yeah, and that yeah, absolutely, that uncertainty makes it very difficult for for planning purposes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So let's. Um, so obviously, we've seen these in demand occupations, and and so in the past there hasn't been this list, and so essentially, if you are a skilled worker in Manitoba and your occupation is not on this list do you have options uh so there there still are options um so within the so the in demand occupation list is only applicable to some of the pathways okay yeah um so the uh so the work experience pathway um so for example that one the that one is kind of the closest pathway that resembles the the skilled worker in Manitoba stream how it currently is because it only requires six months of work experience and that was one of the uh, the the most common um, uh, paths that students would have they study they they study in let's say a one-year program a two-year program they get a post-graduation work permit for one or two years then they get a, a position um, after uh, graduation, they work for six months, and then they apply through the skilled worker in Manitoba stream. Um, that that um, path is no longer open to them because the new uh, requirement under the work experience pathway requires a position that is in the in-demand occupation list. Gotcha. So they can still, they would still qualify um, after working for six months, if the position that they land post graduation is on this list, and this list, uh, you know, when we were talking to the province about this list, is going to be updated. They said about twice a year, they're going to go back to this list, look at the labor market, and maybe change some of the knock codes around. Um, but this is the list that we're going to be working off at least for the next six months. So probably when this work experience pathway kicks in in the third quarter of 2018, um, this is probably going to be the first list that the that students or, or skilled workers should be looking at when they're applying for jobs. They want to make sure that their job does fit in one of the categories on this list to make sure that they qualify for this work experience pathway so that when they get to that six months, mark and they submit their expression of interest to the province um, that they uh, that they do actually qualify for the program okay so let's shift to the stem concept so how does that blend in with what we're talking about here so the STEM program, so that's under the international education stream. So that, so within the career employment pathway, the province has explicitly stated that they want graduates with, uh, with, uh, with education in STEM. I will say that um, that the province itself, this is a new stream. It's a new pathway, and uh, and the province 
at this point still can't answer a lot of the questions that yes. we have mm-hmm. about this pathway. What they're saying is that they're working with universities and colleges in order to develop internship programs um, for these STEM graduates. Uh, they want them to get experience in their field and then go on to develop um, uh, uh, work experience within uh, within STEM positions. Um, with a, a STEM uh, pathway, they, they don't necessarily need to have um, work experience as long as they have the um, the, 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 the degree in, in, the, in the right field, they've completed the internship, and then there are other requirements. Um, but the province has explicitly stated that, um, that they want the PNP program to really support STEM graduates. They see STEM graduates as really supporting the uh, Manitoba economy long term. Um, and so if you are listening to this and you are interested in, um, in these uh, types of fields and you're thinking about coming to Manitoba, um, I can tell you that the province has explicitly stated they want you, they want to support you, <laughs> um, and that they're working with universities to develop these internship programs. We'll have to see how it all shakes out. Um, at this point, we don't know a whole lot about it. But, uh, but they have committed, at least in writing, to, to, this, to this stream. And for those who are maybe not up to this particular acronym, um, I think most people understand it globally, but STEM is Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. So just to clarify for, for some listeners who are wondering, what are they talking about STEM? Uh, that is what we mean, and, and so... You know, when you've completed a program within those areas, those are the ones that are highly sought after, at least from the standpoint of the, the province of Manitoba. Now, I will say along in that program, one aspect that concerns me is that they're now requiring settlement funds. Um, if they have not been employed um, in a position in Manitoba. So, um, and the settlement funds must be liquid assets equivalent to LICO, the low income cutoff. For a family of four, that's over $20,000. That means that these applicants must have $20,000 in liquid assets, like in their savings account or their checking account, um, as settlement funds in order to qualify for this program. Wow, and that's after completing education. That's right, that's, that's after, after completing a very expensive degree. Three times the tuition of a local, um, you know, and then expecting to have this vast surplus after they've tapped themselves out to get the education. Well, right. you know, the, the reality is, uh, you know, I can understand from the standpoint of, of both the province and the federal government why they do that. People need to be able to um, support themselves and, and get on their feet while they're trying to land the, the right job. And um, if you do have a little bit of a buffer, then maybe you're not just going to settle for one of those service industry related jobs and you'll, you know, and you'll, you'll keep looking for something in your field. So, hmm, that's interesting. Wow. So these, yeah, these, these changes are definitely going to um, open up a lot of new opportunities and potentially close off some for others. And uh, at this stage, I'm assuming that what we see on the website is tentative plans. And like <clears throat> any of these provincial nominee programs, you know, creatures of, of policy, um, they can change at any, any moment. And like you said, with the occupations um, in demand, 
the reality is if it's only valid for six months, it's pretty hard to do some long-term planning if, if your occupation all of a sudden gets dropped off the list. So there are inherent challenges with it for sure. But I think a lot of uh, really neat opportunities. And as we look forward to 2018 and watch these things unfold, um, yeah, it'll be it'll be pretty neat to see how how everything shakes down. It's very interesting. I mean, the province has been very open, um, and uh, we communicate with them with them regularly on the changes. Um, and so, if you know you're listening and you're going through this, and there are any um, big concerns that you have, feel free to contact me. We can relay those questions to the director or or the the deputy minister. Um, and we're and this is a dialogue. One of the great things I will say um, about uh, dealing with Manitoba is that, well, first of all, their office is just down the street from us, so that's that's nice. Um, but uh, you know, they're they they want to help applicants and. They have an idea of which applicants are going to be best for the province, um, but uh, when the, the, we're we're dealing with people here, right? That we're dealing with people and, and applications, um, and the province is generally very open to considering the circumstances of these individuals. And uh, so, when we deal with individual officers on particular applications, there's some flexibility there. Now, one question uh, before we close off. Um, I just, we've got a lot of listeners that live overseas who do not mm. necessarily have a connection with the province of Manitoba. Um, I know that, you know, there's a discussion about this skilled workers overseas stream. What, what does the future hold for those individuals? Uh, people who are looking for pathways to a province, but don't necessarily have education in that province or a job lined up in that province. Um, we know that, you know, Saskatchewan and you know, PEI, some of the other provinces have direct streams like this, but they're very small. They open for a day and they're filled. The quote is used up before the program's hardly even opened. Um, does that play a role anywhere within the Manitoba Provincial Nominee Program? So the, the skilled worker overseas stream is very competitive. It's very hard to get into. Um, unless the applicant has connections to Manitoba, mm-hmm. let's say a family member who is already here, or if they've already completed education in Manitoba and then moved away, it's very difficult for those applicants to be competitive um, in that stream. Um, I would encourage uh, those applicants to come to Manitoba to at least visit Manitoba and 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 see what see what's going on. Um, I, I will say, you know, a couple of years ago, so they've revamped the program in 2017, implemented 2018. When they when they relaunched the program in 2015, the last time the they uh, the main focus on that on those changes uh, were. Uh, for individuals who had connections to other provinces, Ontario and BC, for example, um, and they would deduct uh, points for individuals <laughs> who had uh, education, let's say, outside of Manitoba. That was a big change that they that they did a, a few years ago. Um, they're really focused on applicants who have who have demonstrated connections to Manitoba. Um, and if you don't have any any connections, if you're just kind of 
Um, if you've never been here, if you don't have any family members or any close friends um, to Manitoba, I would highly encourage you to come and visit um, and, uh, and start there. Um, other than that, I mean, there are certainly some applicants who would be competitive, but it's uh, it's pretty hard. I mean, this it's not a first in first out system, right? So you can't say that you'll get X number of points and you qualify and you're it and and you're on. Um, every month, or sometimes there are a couple draws per month, they take the uh, the applications that are at the top, the cream of the crop, um, and the other ones stay in the pool. Um, so to a certain extent, you're competing against the other applications that are in the pool. Um, and then uh, and depending on what other applications are there, possibly an over, uh, a skilled worker overseas could be selected. But, um, but it all depends on whether or not the other applicants in the pool, if they have connections to Manitoba or if they have work experience in Manitoba or education in Manitoba. I mean, the, the province is very uh, focused on... Uh, on retaining uh, families, um, and as we mentioned, I mean, you know, in the in the uh, in the presentation, they're very proud of the fact that ninety percent, ninety five percent of families who have gone through the PNP program have settled permanently in the province, um, and uh, and they want to keep those numbers up. Um, and by and their their focus on keeping those numbers up is through getting and approving and supporting applicants who have connections to the province. So just to clarify, then there isn't a certain <clears throat> number of allocations within the the province's annual quota that is attributed to any particular stream. Um, it's it's kind of open is and they they can select who they want. You know, when I look at the expressions of interest and and the draws. And I see 22, uh, you know, letters of advice to apply for skilled workers overseas who are invited directly by the the, the PNP under the strategic recruitment stream, the strategic yes. recruitment initiative. You know, and I see 22. You know, um, uh, that was November 23rd, and then uh, December the 13th. I see there were 45. So the the numbers are definitely. Um, lower and uh than you know than than those who are who are being invited through other other streams yeah generally the skilled workers overseas come through the strategic recruitment initiative pathways at least under the old program and and under the new one we'll have to see yeah um again i mean this is not going to be implemented until 2018 but the um the province still has the employer direct recruitment pathway um and the the human capital pathway so it's still going to be working with employers a lot of those the, the the numbers that you mentioned were let's say the long haul truck drivers. Yes. Um, the province sent some officers to London, England, ah. uh, in November to specifically recruit long haul truck drivers and a couple other um, uh, categories. Um, so they're being specifically targeted. Interesting. So this is so these numbers are, are not even necessarily someone who is just applying cold. In other words, someone who's just purely based on human capital. 
No, the, the province is really focused on building partnerships with yeah. industry. So there are companies who have been uh, specifically um, uh, targeted or, or their partners with the province. And these companies say, we need foreign workers to do, you know, trucking because we have uh, X number of positions and we can't fill them uh, based on the labor market. And the province says, OK, we're going to work with you and try to do some overseas uh, recruitment to fill those positions. Um, on the other side, you mentioned the, the numbers. So um, in 2017, the province received 5,500 uh, nomination certificates from the federal government. Uh, my understanding, based on the December 6th meeting, is that they um, are negotiating with the federal government for 2018, but it will probably be in the same range. Right around 5,500 again. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, this has been really, really helpful, Alistair. I really appreciate the time that you've taken to share a little bit of insight. And obviously, you know, we're going off of uh, some of the projections and the programs have not fully been, un, un, you know, unveiled and all the details laid out. But I appreciate the time that you've taken to share insight on what we think is going to be happening here in, in the next year and the potential implications it's going to have for candidates who are right midstream uh, wondering what their future holds. So... That's been really, really great. Um, if individuals want to reach out to you and learn a little bit more, like you said, or have questions and, and, uh, or looking to hire someone to help them with their MPNP applications, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So the easiest way is to just send us an email. Um, so uh, the email address for the office is info, I-N-F-O, at applytomanitoba.ca, A-P-P-L-Y, the number two, um, M-A-N-I, T-O-B-A uh, dot C-A um, and then probably Heavenly um, who is our um, our frontline person she will reach out to you schedule an appointment we do consultations via Skype in person over the telephone um, sometimes I mean I'm heading to Vancouver this afternoon um, and uh, you know we'll see I'm, I'm going to be in Las Vegas in January I don't know if, if any <laughs> listeners are, are, are there I'm going to the e Going to an EB5 conference. Excellent. Uh, yeah, in, in Las Vegas. That'll be fun. Oh, wow. Um, and, I'll be, and I'll be talking, and, that, and I'm going to talk about the MPMP renewal. Um, so I'll be reiterating a lot of the same things that we've talked about today, Mark. Excellent. That's great. So that'll be fun. You know, so if you're at that conference, just, uh, you know, pull me over and I can talk to you uh, about your application uh, there. But just contact the office. Heavenly will arrange things. I just, you know, she just tells me where to go and I just follow whatever she says. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alistair. It was great having you back on the podcast. Thanks, Mark. Great to chat with you. All right. Take care. Bye now. Well, you can see uh, Alistair's passion for his province and everything that is going on and, and uh, the efforts that he goes to make sure that he's on top of things before they actually even become uh, a part of the program. So I really appreciate the insight he gave with his, you know, the things that he shared with um, his experience with the, the decision makers in terms of those developing and implementing the program, the Manitoba Provincial Nominee Program. And it was great to have Alistair back. He, he shares everything, his knowledge, his, his experience so openly. And that's why I love guests like him so much. And that's why I bring them back. And I know that um, there's probably more questions that everyone is asking after this podcast episode um, than were answered, largely because 
a lot of these changes are projected for 2018, but uh, there's definitely been um, uh, a, a lot of things that we can kind of think about, and uh, especially individuals who are living and working in Manitoba right now, um, there's an awareness that maybe wasn't there before. And sometimes the, the provinces quietly announce these changes. And uh, when I spoke with Alistair off, you know, when we stopped the recording, um, it's amazing. When you, if you watch carefully and you look at these provincial nominee programs, whenever there is a new proposed change, that change is obviously for a specific reason. But very rarely is it to expand the program. Often what it is, it's to, it's to restrict it. So essentially, uh, provinces are uh, looking at the, the candidates that they're getting in and realizing that, the, you know, large numbers of a certain segment of those candidates, um, they have to process their applications, but they're not the ideal candidates, whether they are, are saturating certain occupations, um, you know, such as food service supervisors and things like that, which we touched on in the podcast, certain occupations are maybe not necessarily in demand, but they are taking up a large portion of those nominations. Or for instance, people, a certain group are, are not staying, they're coming and then they're relocating to other, other provinces and they're burning up those nominations and not, uh, not accomplishing the design of the program, which is to stay work and make a life in that province and make it a better place to live. So you watch all these changes across the, across the country. Even in, in Janet Thompson Price's uh, uh, interview with me where we talked about the Atlantic immigration pilot, you can see the efforts that are gone to try to get people to, to actually settle, to stay, to put their roots down in those provinces. And um, any province that is, you know, that is trying to do more than just open up a blank category, but actually help with the integration, well, they're going to succeed at least a lot better than those who don't. So I want to, uh, yeah, I'm really happy to have Alistair come join us. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. And uh, like I said in the intro, I want to wish everyone a very, very Merry Christmas to you and your family, um, wherever you are in the world, and the very, very best in this upcoming 2018 um, year that it is prosperous and everything that you hoped it would be. All right, take care. I wish you guys all the best as you navigate this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. Oh, Canada, greatest country in the world. We want to share the richness of your soil. This place I Here on the Canadian Immigration Podcast.